All right. Hey, if you got a copy of the scriptures, electronic or leather and paper, we're going to Nehemiah today. We're in Nehemiah chapter one, and and uh, this is a great day. Uh, I love kids, don't you? Uh, I, I've, I've thought about this before. I thought if you don't like kids, Central is going to be a thorn in your flesh, man. I mean, there are kids and kids. Um, it's a great thing. I love it, and I love to see uh, their excitement, what they bring, and and uh, and it's a super thing. Nehemiah chapter one. Let me let me just kind of preface up front. Everybody's welcome to listen today, but males, I'm speaking to you. And and uh, my wife has jokingly said, Mark, you could just if if all men were in the church, you would be fine. And and that's that's not completely true, but but. Uh, I, I, I can speak to men. I love to speak to men because I am one. And I know the, I know what goes on in this flesh. And I know what's, what the struggles that I have. And I know that you guys face the same thing I do. And so I want to, I want to talk about these things today. I, I want to, um, let, let's, let's, let me tell you some things up front. We're going to be in Nehemiah. I'm going to read the scripture in just a minute. But let's, guys, let's come to agreement up front. And ladies, I want you to hear these things up front because, you know, men are tough and we put up facades and we, we act a certain way, but there are certain things I know of. First of all, for you ladies, y'all think we do not communicate well. I know that. You think, oh, they don't talk much. They just don't communicate. Let me tell you, two men come up to stop signs at the same time, okay? All I have to do is this. And that what that tells that guy over there is that, man, he's submitting to me. He's letting me go first. I appreciate that. So what does he do? And he goes. Now, there was a lot of exchange just right there that took place. And some of you are thinking, no, that's not. Yes, it was. Man, I really respect you. You can go first. Man, I appreciate that. You're a good guy. That quick. And so you women got to use words. We just do it like that. And, And if we're walking down the street or we come to the church in the hallways, you know, all we have to do is this. All that means, what that means is, man, you're all right. I'm doing okay today. My family's okay. We're okay. See, we didn't have to say anything. Just that quick, just a, a nod. And when we do this, it means I'm with you, man. I am completely with you. Whatever you're going through in life, I am completely with you. See, men communicate. So I just want you ladies to know that as we get into this, because the rest of the stuff is going to be for the men. But you need to know we, we communicate really well uh, with that. But but here's the deal. When I get to speak to men, I know that I could get up and, first of all, I could speak about purity because every man battles purity issues. And women, you need to know this up front. We battle purity issues. Now, some are out of control with certain men, certain guys. It's just a, a, a passing glance or whatever. We all battle with purity, and we're reminded of that daily. And so, women, the best thing you can do in that area is help us in that area because it's a it's – a, uh, listen, 100% of the men battle impurity issues. Here's another one. We battle over what it means to be the right kind of dad. We battle. We, we just, we wonder. We wonder, am I doing it right? Am I loving my kids enough? Am I disciplined? Am I too heavy-handed? We, we battle in that. We battle what it means to be a good husband. We, we struggle with that because we see what somebody else is doing and what their wife talks about them all the time. And we, and so that leads me to the next one. We, we struggle in the area of comparison. We struggle. And our world puts people in front of us that, 
that you ladies look at and not may you may, may never say anything, but all of us men battle the comparison bug and it's and it's there all the time. So what leads to many men, even though we're physically mature on the outside in this inside of us, there's an insecurity that's kind of there. And we also want to be spiritual leaders, but we're not really sure what that means. And so I, I'm just letting you in on the secret of all men. And, and we wonder, am I going to finish this race strong or am I not going to? And, and this is just what goes on with every man. Now, I want you to read with me in Nehemiah here. And I'm just going to read the first four verses. And, and, and then I want to speak to you a little bit. And, and I, I, I pray it's a challenge. And it says this in Nehemiah 1.1, the words of Nehemiah, son of Hakaliah. Now, you got to understand, Nehemiah has, the children of Israel used to be down in, in Judah, and they have been taken over, and they're now in exile. They're out of the, the area of Judah where Jerusalem is and everything. But it says, In the month of Kislev, in the 20th year, while I was in the citadel of Susa, Hannah and I, one of my brothers, came from Judah with some other men, and I questioned them about the Jewish remnant that had survived the exile and also about Jerusalem. And they said to me, those who survived the exile and are back in the province are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down, and its gates have been burned with fire. And when I heard these things, I sat down and wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. What has happened is, is Jerusalem... The center of God, the temple, everything that Jerusalem represents as far as their God goes. It says that the walls have been broken down. In other words, a place that used to be holy and set apart for God has now been desecrated because the walls are down and everybody's just traipsing through that. It's no longer holy. The gates are open for anything to come flooding into a place that was once holy. And I don't want to, I don't want to step aside from what the scripture is saying, but I want you to hear my heart on this. I believe we live in a day in our culture where the wall of manhood is down. And because the wall of manhood is down, we're seeing what God declared as holy get desecrated because manhood has, has, is just not understanding and the wall has crumbled in our culture. Now, I look around this room, and I know some of you are very godly men, and I, 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 emulate, I want to emulate in, anything in your life, but you see our culture as a whole. And what has happened is, is that there is confusion. In 1555, there was Queen Mary in England, and Queen Mary became known as Bloody Mary. And the reason she became known as Bloody Mary is, is that you may remember in the history of England, they broke away from the Catholic Church and there was the Anglican Church. In other words, there would not be a pope over them, and this would not happen. And what happened is, is that Queen Mary comes back in, and she says, we're going to put Catholicism back in. You've got to follow the pope. And there was godly people that said, no, it's Christ alone. It's not following a pope. Two of such men, one of them was known as Bishop Latimer. Bishop Latimer was an earnest preacher who preached the truth of Jesus Christ. There was another one by the name of Bishop Ridley, who was considered the Bishop of London. And these two men were going to stand on the truth of God's word. So what did Queen Mary do, Bloody Mary? She said, these two men need to be arrested and they're going to be burned at the stake. And so they took these two men and what an incredible way to die is to be burned 
uh, alive. In fact, they, they, I won't go into all the details, but it became very gruesome, in the, especially how uh, Bishop Latimer burned. It was, it was horrific. But, uh, but before the two men were burned at the stake, they were walking up together. And this is, what, this is what Latimer tells Ridley. He says, Be of good comfort, Mr. Ridley, and play the man. We shall this day light such a candle by God's grace in England as I trust never shall be put out. He said, play the man. In other words, be courageous. Stand firm to the end. Play the man. But I thought, where does that term play the man come from? Because that's not the term we use. But you know, it's scriptural. There's two places in scripture where that play the man comes out. The first one is when David's men are basically the Ammonites are coming against them. Joab, the head of the armies of David, is out there to meet them. Where the Ammonites have got other people to join up with them. So they're surrounding the children of Israel, and there's two fronts to fight. It's never good to have two fronts. So what Joab does in this situation to fight two fronts, he brings his brother into the picture, and he says, you fight against them. I'll fight against them. If you get in trouble, blow the horn. We'll run to you. If we get in trouble, we'll blow the horn and you run to us. And this is what Joab tells uh, his brother. He says, be of good courage and let us play the men for our people and for the cities of our God. And the Lord do that which seems him good. In other words, be courageous. Play the man. The other time that it happens is when David is about to pass away and his son Solomon is going to become king. And so Solomon um, is there, and David takes his son one last time to speak into his life, which is an incredible challenge because David was such a man after God's own heart. And what, what David says to him, he says this. He says, I go the way of all the earth. Be strong, therefore, and show thyself a man. In other words, play the man. Be the man. Be the man of courage. And keep the charge of the Lord thy God to walk in his ways, to keep his statutes and his commandments and his judgments and his testimonies. In other words, be a man that stands for something. Play the man. What's happened in our culture today is we're confused on what manhood is. Many cultures have a rite of passage, but, but in our culture... We, we, we're confused on what that is. And uh, when, is a, when is a guy a man? Is it when he turns 18? Is it when he gets hair on his body and he starts shaving? Is it when he can um, go to war for our country and give his life for our country? Is it when he becomes a teenager? Is it when he becomes drinking age? Is it when he gets a full-time job? Is it when he's married? When is it? That a guy becomes a man. I have seen certain young teenage boys that show the characteristics of manhood that some people in their 30s don't have. So it's hard to say it's chronological age. But when is the time when a guy understands you play the man? In fact, uh, Paul in the 1 Corinthians 13, which is the love chapter, which is a great chapter. Most weddings have them. And there's a point in there when he says, when I was a child... I did childish things. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. And, and the question to Paul is, well, when did you know you were a man? When did you know that you were a man? Robert Lewis, who did the authentic manhood study, he, he said there's three things that has led to our culture demise as far as manhood goes. I think there's a fourth that I'll tell you about. The first one he says was the Industrial Revolution. 
He says that when in our country, when it used to be that dad and son or dad and daughters, they would be there all day long. They would learn from dad. Dad would teach them. And, and that's where the learning came from. With the Industrial Revolution, now dad went off to work and son and daughter were left back. And especially the, the young men, now where dad used to be the teacher, women became the predominant teachers. And so it, it changed in what they would, would learn. And so the Industrial Revolution was one. He said number two was World War II. Because in World War II, what you think is the golden generation, it's the time when we could do anything. Well, what happened is, is when we came back from World War II, we did believe we could do anything. So men threw themselves into their careers instead of their families. And, and young men got lost in the, in the current of that. The third thing that Robert Lewis said was the feminist movement, which is the movement that came along that said women are equal with men in every capacity, in everything, physically, uh, emotionally, everything. There, there's, there's this commonality and equality that happens. And I believe that God created a man and female, male and female equal. I believe that. But you know as well as I do, there's, there's differences in the way God created us. But, there, but the movement came along and, and young men became confused on... Uh, what is true manhood at this point? I believe there's a fourth one. And the fourth one I, I, I'm going to say is the technological revolution because what has happened is, is that, you know, the Bible says, as iron sharpens iron, let one man sharpen another. What's happened in the technological age is we, we don't ever have iron sharpening iron time because for us it's all FaceTime, screen time. And so we, we have become a generation that's lost the ability to truly communicate. I'm not saying we don't communicate, but we've lost an ability to truly communicate. And with that, there's become a distancing, and uh, man has struggled. And what has happened is, is because man is confused in our culture on who there is, there's, a, there's some things that are the result of that. One is, and you know as well as I do, when, you, when you're confused and you don't know where to go, you just keep on going because we don't ask directions. You just keep on going, and you just keep doing what you're doing. And, and it means you're doing nothing, but you're going to keep going because you don't want everybody else to think you really don't know what's going on. I'll be honest. I grew up in a, in a home without a dad, so I did not know. But I, I'm willing to admit that. Some guys are just too prideful to say you just didn't know. So that's one thing that happens when you're confused. Number two, what happens is you're confused. Because you're timid about taking steps, you become passive. You just become passive and you don't do anything about it. You just become very confused and say, well, I'm not sure I'm supposed to do that. I'm not sure I'm supposed to do that. So you, 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 don't, you don't take any steps. You become passive. A third thing is, is you let the culture define what manhood is. And you know how the way the culture defines it. You're watching it on TV every day. Men are, men are, are, are saps. They're weaklings. They're wimps. They're, they're, there's nothing about them that, that you really want to emulate. And, and, and you look at the way dads are on TV today. And, and it's such a, a sorry picture. But if you're not getting it anywhere else, that's what you're going to think is, is the deal. And so if you're confused, you're timid about taking next steps, you become passive, you're letting the world define, what you do is we'll just turn it over to the females and say, you lead, you just lead. We're confused, we don't know. And this is what we're seeing, and this is why the wall is down so much in our culture. Now, I'm not saying any two men are completely alike. You know, because I know in our culture today, especially in the Christian culture, 
you know, let's let's do the wild at heart, let's do brave heart, let's do gladiator, let's like saving Private Ryan, and this is how every man needs to be. And I think, man, that's not that bad. But but not every man is created that way. So if you, because I mean, I even look at the kids all week at VBS. You got you got certain kids that are rough and tumble, and and this is the way they are, and and then you've got other kids that are kind of, uh, I'm going to use the term soft, not in a negative way, but they're just not that way, and, and, and is, it, is it to say, okay, he's a real man, and he's not a real, no, no, the maleness is there, God has created that, and so we see that there, and there's some that are, that are very uh, uh, creative, and some not creative, there, there are some that are extroverts, some that are introverts, and so I'm not saying all two men are alike, but I'm saying that they're godly principles that are established in, in the lives of men that he has put there. And, men, I want to challenge you uh, as you look at that. <clears throat> I'm talking to myself today, so y'all hang with me. We may be here till. Uh, what does this mean to a pastor? Nothing. Uh, <laughs> I am always thinking about manhood, and, and, and it breaks my heart to, to see a day of confusion, especially for, for boys uh, growing up, especially the absence of fathers in our day. It's just it, it's, it's such a, a, a heartbreak for me. But I, I, in the Scriptures, the man other than Jesus that I probably looked to the most because he was considered a man after God's own heart was David. And David, I always wondered, why did men follow David so closely? And in fact, it says in 1 Samuel 22, let me just tell you the story. David is running from Saul because Saul wants to kill him. So David is staying away from him, a a jump ahead of him. And he goes to the caves to hide out. And what the scripture says, it says that uh, while they were there, all those who were in distress or in debt or discontented gathered around him. And he became their commander, about 400 men were there. So what has happened is, is David is getting away from Saul, and all of a sudden these 400 men show up. They're in debt, they're discontented, they're disenfranchised with life, and they come to David. And I'm thinking, what attracted them to David? Why, why did they come? And now he was going to take care of them and everything, but why are they going to come? And, and uh, these 400 men, if you, if you know anything about the Old Testament, when David took power, is these men became his mighty men. These are the ones that could kill a hundred just by their bare hands alone. These guys were incredible in their warriorness and, and, and the way they were and the way that, that they came to follow David. They're the ones that got guys like Benahiah who went down into a, a pit on a snowy day and killed a lion. Good night. I wouldn't kill a lion ever. But on a snowy day, there goes Benahiah down into a pit. Then you've got three guys, because David happened to, almost said it flippantly, oh, man, I'd love to have some water from Jerusalem, because Jerusalem was under enemy uh, takeover. And he just happened to flippantly say that these three guys break through enemy lines, go to a well in Jerusalem, get water, bring it back to him. These are the kind of men who were disenfranchised, discontented, and, and in debt, and they come to David, and these become his mighty men. I'm thinking, why? Why did they follow David? Uh and, and, and I know, I've read all kinds of leadership books, and uh, there's tons of leadership qualities. I, I, I look back at David, though, and I think it was his heart. Because, yes, he was a warrior, but then he's playing a guitar over here, and he's kind of just singing 
la-la songs to God. I mean, he's, he's on both sides of, of this thing. And I'm thinking, men, men, but it was something about his heart that brought him. And so I want to give you four things and then a challenge today. And, and I'm just going to list these out. I won't spend a lot of time on them. And I'll give you a card when you leave today. You're going to get a new man card if you've lost yours. And uh, it will have on there what I'm, what I'm talking about today. The guys will give it to you when you leave. But there are four qualities about manhood that I want you to get. Number one is this, and I believe David models this, rejects passivity. In a day where we're tempted to be passive, especially in our faith, it's time for men to reject passivity. I will not sit by and let everybody else do it. I will not, I will not do that. I, I will step forward. I will, I will take responsibility. I will uh, stand for something beyond myself. I'm not going to sit around, but I'm going to take an active role. And part of that active role will mean I'm going to be one who gives grace, who gives love actively upon other people, not only in my words, but in my service. I am not going to sit back and just let the world idly go by and tell me what manhood is. I want to, I want to become active in that. And you may remember David's life. The only time we see where he was really passive, well, one of the times, I think there were some other things he struggled with passivity, but the one time... He chose not to go to battle, but to stay back and stay passive. You remember what happened? He had a lustful, adulterous encounter with Bathsheba. I believe we live in a day where so many men have become passive that the enemy is picking us off with things because we are not standing for anything. If you stand for nothing, you'll fall for anything. And we're seeing that. So there's a call for men. Listen, guys, I'm talking to myself today. There, there comes a, a, a time we need to reject passivity. Number two is this, is we need to expect the greater reward, God's reward. Expect the greater reward. David did not live for the applause of men. I do not believe that David lived for the applause of men. I think when he killed Goliath, he was not doing it for the applause of men. When he, uh, when he took over as king, he did not do it as applause of men. He did it for the applause of heaven. He knew there was something beyond this earth. His heart was bent towards his creator. His heart was bent towards God. And I think that's what he's calling for us men today. I know some of you are just like me. You battle with a man-pleasing spirit. But I'm telling you, I think God is saying, by my spirit, Mark, it's time for you to expect a greater reward than what you're going to get on this earth. It's beyond what you can ever imagine. See, this is what our sons and daughters need to hear. This is what our wife needs to know is that we're living for something beyond ourselves and we were going to live, we're going to live lives of integrity and we're going to live lives of character and we're going to run the race till the very end and the accolades of our life will be the true reward when we get into the presence of the Father when He says, well done, good and faithful servant, enter in. And we got to expect the greater reward, not the reward here. You know, I, I, I love it, Richard, up here, uh, baptizing his daughter. The beautiful picture of that is a dad. See, that's an eternal perspective. Richard's going to take discipleship responsibilities. See, that's eternal. We're looking for greater rewards from the Lord. Thirdly, accepts responsibility. David accepted responsibility. He did not blame other things. And I'm afraid we live in a day where we're blaming everybody else for our insufficiencies. We're blaming the government. We're blaming, we're blaming our job. We're blaming our, our spouse. We're blaming our kids. We're blaming our upbringing. Well, if my dad would have taught me better, if I would have grown up with more money, I could have done those things. We've got to quit it. 
we got to take responsibility for where we are, quit blaming all of our situation on some, something else. We need to quit bellyaching about government and politics. We need to quit blaming the man and become the man. Quit blaming the church. Accept our own failure. Ask for forgiveness. Don't live under entitlement. You know, we live in a, we live in a day where we're in love with the news, man. We are in love with the news. And so we love to see what everybody's telling us politically that we are to believe and not to believe. And we, we work under the fear of man and we're always being bombarded with his fear. I want you to know the New Testament church was raised under one of the most pagan governments, sensuality, everything that it could ever be raised under. We never read about them complaining about that in the New Testament. You know what we read? We read, God, how can you use me? How can you use me? And I think, I think that's where the church needs to step up. We need to quit complaining about everything and say, God, can you fill us to use us to make a difference? And I think that that's where we accept responsibility. Listen, I'm not saying that some of you couldn't have great excuses in this room to be a shyster and a nothing. Your dad checked out. You, maybe you had a wife check out. Your kids don't even like you. you, you, you you've been laid off a hundred times. You battle with certain issues in, in, in your mental psyche, you're thinking, man, I am, I am worthless. I want you to know you are not. You are not. God has created you. He knows exactly what's going on in your life. I know it's hard to accept at times, but if we can accept responsibility, say, God, I want to be your man. This is who I am. And we accept responsibility for that. Fourth one, I know I'm flying, but I've got to give you a fourth one, and it's this. Leads courageously. Leads courageously. Rejects passivity expects the greater reward, God's reward, accepts responsibility, and leads courageously. As a moral background, stands for what right. You know, when I look at David, I, I, I sometimes look at his life, you know, what made him do what he did. And we always say it's because of he had a heart after God. Yeah, yeah. But, but what really, and, and I look at that, and he had a, a holy discontent that was always standing for righteousness. I'm going to fight Goliath not because it has anything to do with you. It has everything to do with God, and he's mocking God, and I'm going to stand for righteousness. We look at that other times. He just stood for righteousness. That was He, he did not like to see God's name uh, run in the ground. He stood for righteousness, but he led courageously in the midst of that. I was reading in Acts chapter um, 4, and in Acts chapter 4, John and Peter had been arrested for proclaiming their faith, Okay. And they said, we're going to beat you and we're going to, we're going to let you go. And, uh, and so when they got out, they went to a prayer meeting. And you know what we would do if we had just gotten imprisoned for our faith and we go to a prayer meeting? What would we pray? Oh God, please take care of those people and do something evil to them and take them out. And, you know, God, please take care of me and give me care. I mean, that's the way we pray in our culture, but that's not the way they prayed. Here's the way they prayed. I want you to hear this, thinking about this leads courageously. It says, they came in prayer, and this is what they said. Sovereign Lord, they said, you made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father David. Why do the nations rage? Let me skip down a little bit. And, and they said this. They said, indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed. They did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. Now, Lord, here, here it is. Consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. 
stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. They, they didn't whine. They said, God, make me bold. Make me bold. When was the last time you prayed? When was the last time I even prayed? God, make me bold. I don't, I don't care if it's comfortable or not. Just make me bold. Let me lead courageously. 20 seconds of insane courage. Isn't that a great thing? God, just make me bold. And then this is what it says happened. It says, after they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. God came. They showed up when they prayed that. God makes. I sometimes wonder if God doesn't show up because we're praying such selfish prayers. God make us bold. Make us different. Okay. You've got those things. Here's, here's the challenge. Rick, uh, excuse me, uh, um, Bill Hybels uses a term called holy discontent. I believe David's holy discontent was to stand for righteousness. A holy discontent, l- let me try to describe it to you. I grew up watching a cartoon called Popeye. And uh, it's great. It's one of the most spiritual things that have come along in a long time. Popeye. Popeye's... Um, uh, girlfriend was named Olive Oil. There you go. And she was a looker. And um, but Popeye was always protective of olive oil. He was protected of the of those that were less fortunate. He was protected of the right. He wanted to be right. And when things finally got to the point where he couldn't handle it anymore, he would say this: "That's all I can." Stands. I can't stands no more. Grammatically, totally incorrect. That's all I can stands. I can't stands no more. He had had it to his wits end. Eat the spinach. Biceps go to another level. And it's all over at that point. But he came to that point. That's all I can stands. I can't stands no more. And, 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 and that's where Hybels talks about this holy discontent. And when you read the Word of God, there was something that pushed people beyond the norm. And I don't believe everybody's holy discontent the same. Let me give you a definition of holy discontent. An uneasy spirit about the brokenness of this world, which aligns with the heart of God, that spurs us to take positive action to change the world. It's something that's on the heart of God that we see that just sends us to a next level. Now, in other words, it's this. It's where passion and purpose intersect. In other words, you have a certain passion that's inside of you, and God has it on his heart, and it intersects, and it it becomes world change. Not everybody, it's the same. Some of you, let me kind of give you some examples. Some of you may have a holy discontent for, for the poor. Some of you, it may be for the sick. For others, it may be for kids or for for homeless, or for refugees, or for the fatherless, or for just integrity, you know? Uh, for Maybe it's for single moms, or single dads, or for students, or, or college students, or for babies, or for the unborn, or for the church, or for first responders, or the military. Uh, you know, everybody has something that when you, in your quiet moment, there's something to say, why does that just bug me so much why every time that it almost brings me to tears to to know that i'm not talking about the dog commercials on tv where they play the sappy music i'm talking about the thing that really is in your spirit that says man i gotta do something about that i gotta i gotta step to another level because i believe god is calling me to do something here you know 
I, I am not the best pastor in the world. I, I, I know that there are certain weaknesses I have. I'm not a great visionary. I'm, I'm not, not good in some leadership uh, things. But I know one thing that is on my heart because my holy discontent is a lot of times it is the church. And I'm not just talking about central. I'm talking about the big C church. I love the bride of Christ. And there's something about when somebody talks about the bride of Christ, I get there's something in me that just there were fighting words. Man, no, you can't say that when so I, church isn't perfect. I mean, good night. You want me to tell you complaints around here? I can give you a lot of complaints. But I'm not going to do it because I want to build up the bride of Christ. I want to be a part of the solution. And so don't get me started. That's another that would get me here till four o'clock. But uh, what I'm saying is, is that all of us have a holy discontent. And so one of the things in me is if I can do anything, it would be fan into flame your holy discontent, your passion so that you can go out and live it in the world. That is how the church of God makes world change difference. And so I want to I want to do that. So here's here's the deal, men, especially you males in this room. What is your holy discontent? What is that one thing in you that just says, you know, man, that really that really does trigger something in me. God, help me. Help me to deal with that. I need to step up. I need to be bold in that area. Mark Batterson, pastor in Washington, D.C., he, he told a story, a true story of his family. They went to the Galapagos Islands. Back, you may know about the Galapagos Islands, still very primitive animals there. It's where Charles Darwin went and did a lot of his study of, of uh, origins of species, stuff like that. Uh, but he took his family there, and there were animals in their native habitat, and they were, it was incredible to watch them and just the, 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 the incredibleness of the animal nature and what was taking place. He said not too long back, they were back in D.C., and they went to the zoo, and he said, as they were in the zoo, they're going by and they're seeing the same animals. But these same animals had been caged and become docile and become passive. And when I heard that, I thought, is that maybe what the enemy has attempted to do with men? Is to take people that were to reflect the image of Christ in such a way to be this way. And he's put us in a zoo. I don't know. I'm just asking. I mean, I look at myself sometimes and say, God, is this the real deal? Is this really what you intended? I, I, you know, we only have so much life. Are we going to run it strong to the end? Are we going to make a difference in our day? Are we just going to sit back? And, and that is really one of my prayers. God, God, show us our holy discontent. Let us walk in that. Last thing. I know, I know we've got to wrap up. Heard a, heard a pastor preach, and he was talking about his son. His son ran cross-country, you know, cross-country, running three miles through rough terrain. They do it at Old Settlers Park when they do the state meet and this kind of stuff. Some of you run cross-country. And, and uh, he had a son, and his son ran cross-country. And he, he, uh, he, he told his, his son, he said, Son, man, I'm going to be there. I'm going to be at the start line. I'm going to encourage you. But what he did was, is he brought, the dad brought together some of his closest friends. And he said, what I need you to do, he said, I'm going to be at the starting line. He said, and before that gun goes off, and when that gun goes off, I'm going to be yelling my, my son's name. I'm going to be encouraging him. I'm going to be telling him to go. And I'm going to be pushing him on. And I'm going to be doing that. But after a certain while, he's going to be out of the range of my voice. 
So he took, told one of his friends, he said, I want you half mile in or a quarter mile in. And I want you the next quarter mile in. And I want you the next quarter mile in. And when you see my son coming, I, he said, I want you to yell just like I would be yelling for my son. And he said, then I'll be able to get around to the three miles to the finish line and be there when it all ends for my son. And I thought, you know, that's the way it ought to be for life for us as dads. We're there at the beginning. Go, go, go. But there's going to be times our sons and daughters are not within the yell of our voice. And that's where we need other people. That's where we need others. The iron sharpens iron. I am so grateful in the raising of my kids. There was Rob Seaton and Randy Owens and Alan Franz and other people that were along the path that I couldn't be there at the time. They're saying, go, go, go. You can make it. You can make it. You can make it. And I would have been there at the beginning, and I would have been there at other times in the track, and I'll be there at the end and say, go, you can make it, you can make it. You see, we can't make it alone. And men, we cannot make it alone. We need others to help sharpen us. We need others to help us raise our young men and our young women and our grandchildren according to God's way. Men, all males in the room, would you just stand with me? Would you just stand with me? We're not, we're almost done. If I could get all the males to stand with me. And I want you to do something. Um, If you'll just hold your hands out in front of you. um, I know that's very demonstrative for some of you in worship. This is most of us. God, we love you. Uh, You really want to excite your wife, man, do this. And she'll think, oh, he's got it. Yay. Uh, But just hold your hands out. And here's what I want to do. Guys, I want to commission you. I want to commission you to be wall builders. I know many of you have served in the military. You've served in other capacities where you've been commissioned. But I want to commission you to be wall builders. Let's rebuild the wall. So let me pray over you. Father, I pray for these men and boys that are in here. God, I pray that you would so challenge their spirits. God, there's going to be times we fall and we skin our knees and we we look foolish, but our hearts are going to bring us back to you. And so, Lord, I commission these men. I pray over them. I challenge their hearts to be real men. To be real men. To not follow what the culture says, but to pursue you. Could I get you ladies to stand up now and maybe just put a hand on the shoulder of these boys and and, uh, men. Just put a hand on their shoulder. A, A hand of encouragement. So Lord, I pray now as as the hands have been laid on the shoulders of these men and boys that, God, you would give us a fresh, fresh picture of what it means to be real men. And Lord, challenge us to be men of valor, chivalry. That we're not going to sit around and just let the world come to us. We're going to follow and pursue.
We're going to lead courageously. We're going to accept responsibility. And Lord, we know we can't do it alone. We we need other men. So Father, I bless these guys. I commission them as wall builders right now. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.